Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Iraqi Voices. My name is Mohammed Al-Wa'ali. Iraqi Voices is a weekly podcast that showcases authentic perspectives and insights about current developments in Iraq. Iraqi Voices is produced by 1001 Iraqi Thoughts. During Daesh's control of some areas of Iraq, from 2014 until December 2017, thousands of women from different ethnic and religious communities were subjected to various forms of conflict related to sexual violence, referred to by its acronym as CRSV. CRSV was especially widespread against the Yazidis and as part of Daesh genocidal campaign, but also against other components, namely Christian Shabaks and Shia Turkmen. These violations left physical, mental and sociological scars on survivors, only made worse by the lack of an adequate official response up until the recent landmark decision to adopt the Yazidi female survivors law. This law was entered into force on the 15th of March when it was published in the official gazette. The law provides a legal framework for reparation benefits for survivors of Daesh, especially but not solely survivors of conflict-related sexual violence. Although the title is Yazidi Female Survivors Law, it includes not just female Yazidi survivors, but also female Turkmen, Christians and Shabak survivors kidnapped by ISIS. Moreover, Yazidi children who were minors at the time of abduction, as well as male Yazidi Turkmen, Christians and Shabak survivors of mass killings are deemed eligible to receive reparations. Today on Iraqi Voices, we have Hajar Bakr, a human rights legal researcher, speaking to us about this topic. Thank you for joining us, Hajar. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's start by asking you to explain why this is considered a landmark legislation. Right, so um, the Yazidi Female Survivors Law is a landmark legislation um, and momentous on various levels. First, and as you rightly mentioned it, it provides a reparations framework for survivors of Daesh to help alleviate the tremendous impact of the violence they've been through. Um, reparations in a, is an established mechanism of transitional justice um, and an obligation which falls on the state to provide restitution, redress, compensation, rehabilitation, and guarantees of non-repetition for the grave violations that individuals have been subjected to. Providing a framework for reparations is crucial for survivors and the community. Reparations um, are an essential component in achieving justice for survivors of conflict-related sexual violence and atrocities and is a signal of justice for victims and their families, and that their suffering was not in vain and also helps to hold perpetrators accountable. Um, the law helps empowering survivors, demanding justice and reparations, um, and it is inherently an act of resistance of Daesh's atrocities. Crimes of CRSV uh, perpetrated by Daesh is acknowledged pursuant to this law, and the silence is broken, especially given the high level of stigma in our communities regarding sexual violence. Second, survivors' law declares crimes perpetrated by ISIS against Yazidis, Christians, Shabaks, and Turkmen ethno-religious minorities to be uh, genocide and crimes against humanity. The official recognition of severing of these communities constitutes a symbolic declaration, but also the basis for achieving justice for these groups. Also, August 3rd is declared as a national day to commemorate the genocide, and authorities shall undertake memorialization activities. And also, there shall be no amnesties for crimes against abducted Yazidis. Okay, thank you. So, can you tell us some more about CRSV? Um, is it a byproduct of war and conflict? And where has it come into play elsewhere in the world? Horrific experiences of atrocities teaches us that CRSV is not a byproduct of war and conflicts. 
Um, it is not accidental, it isn't random and uh, uncalculated. Rather, it is uh, used strategically and systematically as a tool in atrocities perpetration. It happened in Rwanda and Bosnia with only a few years apart of both atrocities. It happened in Cambodia, um, recently against the Rohingyas, and of course by Daesh against Yazidis, uh, Shabak, Shia, Turkmen and Christians, which Daesh considers as dissident from their distorted ideology. And uh, you know sexual violence can be in different contexts, right? But uh, CRSV is different from other forms of sexual violence, such as that in the context of domestic violence or in the context of oppressive regimes. The purpose and implications of conflict-related sexual violence is different and therefore needs to be addressed as such, especially when we keep in mind the definition of genocide, um, which can be defined broadly as the criminal intent to destroy or to cripple permanently a human group. And CRSV and atrocities can aim at preventing future generations um, of whom they considered unwanted groups. Uh, it could be a tool for intimidation, instilling fear in individuals and, and communities. Um, it could also be used to destroy their social fabric, changing their ethnic composition or even ethnically cleansing groups. Um, so um, you mentioned that CRSV is a strategic tool of war. Um, what official channels can be used to thwart or undo some of its intended purposes? Right. So there is the need for a genuine and vocal response from the state to officially acknowledge the occurrence of these crimes against its population. This is what we can call the name it while you shame it, right? We know that Daesh can be considered the most um, barbaric terrorist group we've witnessed, but military defeat is not enough. General prosecution and conviction is not enough. We need to correctly identify and name the crimes they have committed to be personally able to revert their intended purpose or uh, their intended purpose of destroying those communities. So, for example, instead of just calling those uh, as acts of terrorism, these should be correctly identified uh, vocally as perpetration of CRSV, conflict-related sexual violence, uh, perpetration of genocides, crimes against humanity, etc., then, when this recognition is established, various official channels should address these atrocities accordingly, each according to its field, of course. And we may immediately think of legal and judicial channels. They're definitely crucial, but there is more. It's, it's strategies on genocide prevention in the future. It's um, media raising awareness. It's education in schools and universities, service providers, political sensitivity to, to the affected communities and others. All of this is needed to help revert the intended purpose of perpetrators traders of these crimes. Um, thanks. Um, in addition to the Yazidi survivors law, what additional steps can the government of Iraq take to promote national reconciliation and transitional justice for survivors? Well, I think there's a sense of alienation more and more echoed by survivors and generally by, by minority groups who feel that the current mode of governance in Iraq undermines national minorities' role in political and social matters affecting them. Um, it's time we promote a general sense of belonging and inclusiveness, pay more attention to inclusiveness and uh, co-ownership and governance, streamline through political, social and administrative initiatives, as well as informal channels of participation beyond constitutional principles of coexistence. So many states in the international community have recognized the Yazidi genocide and focus on the Yazidis, but what can the international community do for Yazidis inside Iraq? I mean, Iraq's beauty is in its diversity, and losing a part of that diversity will have, of course, long-term consequences for the identity and social fabric of the country. And so, what are the ways in which justice can be delivered? 
Right. So it can be briefly summed up in listening to Yazidis themselves on what they have lost in their homeland. But having identified where the government of Iraq can take additional steps to promote transitional justice in Iraq, um, international community can play an important role in providing expertise in those areas, capacity building um, in the provision of support and services, and helping a sustainable return to their homeland. There is the need for enduring administrative and political solutions in the areas of return. There is, uh, of course, poor infrastructure and lack of access to many basic necessities. There is the need for economic support and job creation. And of course, the complexities of security, internal, regional political tensions should be taken into consideration. And going back to the Yazidi survivors law, what does the law actually provide for? Okay, so in terms of benefit, the law explicitly provides that the survivors shall be granted a monthly salary, a residential plot of land with a real estate loan or free housing unit, medical and psychosocial care, priority at public employment, um, the right to return uh, to study notwithstanding age conditions. Um, The law also stipulates uh, for the search of the missing, uh, exhumation of mass graves, identification of remains and proper reburials. And this is, uh, of course, all in line with what survivors often ask uh, to meet their basic needs and and, uh, requests. I see. So um, in your opinion, what could be the challenges of implementing this law? So the the implementation phase is crucial. Frameworks of reparation is not entirely new in Iraq. Um, We've had frameworks for reparations for those affected by the Saddam regime, and also a framework for reparations for victims of terrorist operations, war operations, and military mistakes in post-2003. That is the law number 20 of 2009. Um, But amongst the main challenges in law implementation generally in Iraq can be related to budget allocations, um, administrative bureaucracy and routine, of course, human and material resources, capacity building and expertise. Those are relevant uh, challenges generally, let alone for the case of uh, legislation addressing beneficiaries whom are survivors of the most barbaric atrocities, genocide, crimes against humanity and conflict-related sexual violence generally. Thank you a lot, Hajar, for elaborating on the Yazidi Suavis law. And let's hope that the Iraqi government and international community ensures its proper implementation. Looking forward to discuss new issues on Iraq in a new episode of Iraqi Voices. Thank you for listening and don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you.